Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Coming up. Coming up, it is a global sell-off sparked by fears in China. What does it all mean? What is the technical damage? We're coming up with it. Tired of squinting at your phone? Give your eyes a rest and let your ears take over. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Happy New Year, everybody. Paul Vigna, Kristen Scholler here with the Money Beat blog. Uh, it is not a happy New Year so far in the markets. In fact, it's a, it's a downright horrific New Year. It could end up being... Christian, the worst New Year's since I, I, I hate to, you know, how many times do we have to say, you know, since the Great Depression, but since the Great Depression, that's terrible right. first day. That's right. For the Dow and for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, the worst first day to start a new year since 2001, at least. Obviously, we haven't closed yet, but right. that's um, how things are setting up. So you had a variety of factors weighing on stocks. China was one of them. And then we know that um, the Losses worsened for the the U.S. indices when a disappointing ISM manufacturing report right. came out. This culmination of worries about the global economy really seemed to be sending stocks um, sending stocks lower. And you see that in the sectors, all these economically sensitive groups, techs, financials, industrials, et cetera, are all the worst performers right. today. And to the the number we want you to keep an eye on is, is the Dow and the percentage loss. Everybody, if it closes, and we're taping this during the day, we don't know where it's going to finish. If it finishes 2.5% or worse, if it is a wider loss than that, it'll be the worst since 1932 for the Dow, just the Dow. So keep an eye on that. little fun fact for you. But uh, you mentioned China, and we want to talk about China, and that's the big thing. And we're lucky today to have with us Ken Brown, our Hong Kong chief, who is here in New York. And look, it is, it is a good thing for us and our listeners that you're here, Ken. Thanks. Uh, China... Did China just explode overnight? I mean, what happened over there? Well, this is China, and so it's uh, it's always a little complicated. A uh, few things happened. Um, there was some uh, manufacturing data that was weak, um, but it has been weak. It's been uh, it, the the PMI has been um, down for ten straight months or negative for ten straight right. months. So it's nothing new. Um, they guided the currency lower again, uh, but that's also not new. Um, then there's a couple of sort of interesting China things. Um, when the market was crashing over the summer, the government put in some new rules that said if you're a big shareholder in a company, you can't sell for six months. So that six months expires mm-hmm. on Friday. And so that had some people nervous, uh, although everyone knew the date was coming. And also everyone knows if the market's crashing, the Chinese government will just extend that, that January mm-hmm. 8th number. Also, what happened was the the um, the circuit breakers, which they put in place in December, and this was the first day they were actually effective. And these are circuit breakers like we have in New York. But what happens in China is the Chinese market is ruled by retail investors who trade fast, and they are quick to pull the trigger when the market's tumbling. And so what happened is right after lunchtime, the market was down 5%. They did a 15-minute break, which is what the circuit breakers do. And then as soon as they started trading, it just collapsed, and it went down another two percentage points, and they shut it down for the day. And so those were the factors. Yeah. So how much of that – and again, not again, but how much of that should we here in New York be concerned with? How much of that is specifically a China issue? Because 
clearly right now people all over the world are concerned about this. Yeah. It yeah. got everyone's attention. It got people selling. It got people moving. Uh, but how much should we be concerned about this? Well, so that's the big surprise of the day. So everyone knew the Chinese market, was, the Chinese economy was weakening. Right. Everyone knew the Chinese currency was going down. Everyone knew all this stuff. Even this January 8th number, this Friday number, a date, everyone knew. So what was amazing to me was over the summer when the Chinese market crashed, I mean, it fell more than 40% in a relatively short period. It took a long time for the rest of the world to really notice. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world did not react. And then eventually it did react and, and pretty, pretty violently. Um, today, you had one day of sell-off, and the market immediately reacted. Now, the Chinese market, it's effectively closed to global investors. I mean, there are some in there, but it's, it doesn't really matter to the world. The Chinese economy matters a lot. Mm-hmm. But to see the financial system play out globally and to see investors react globally to what's going on in the Chinese markets, that's a surprise to me. Yeah, and, and I want to ask you – know, oh, Kristen, jump in, jump in. Ken, what I'm curious about is how um, – correlated are the Chinese economy and the Chinese stock market? Did the two move in tandem or not? No, no, no. They have no, they have almost no connection. I mean, when the Chinese market was soaring in the mid-2000s, the economy was soaring. And when it crashed at the end of the 2000s, in 2007, 2008, the economy was still soaring. And when it rallied massively last year, the economy was weakening. And when it crashed, the economy was still weakening. There's not, no correlation, really. It is a, it is a day trader's market. And they've been trying to change that, and they have failed. So do you think, and both of you guys, Chris, we've been doing the live blog all day. We've been you know, working the phones, talking to people. How much of this sell-off that you're seeing do you think is about fears about China? And how much of it is just, you know, look, it's a new year, and everyone wants to think that things are going to be different. But clearly things are not different. And December was an extremely erratic, volatile month. The last four or five months of the market were – or nothing great, nothing to, to put into your, your scrapbook. How much of this is just a continuation of the nervousness, the jitters, the anxiety, the, the questions that we have about the, the economy? I think there definitely still is a lot of uncertainty. And yes, that's a leading question. <laughs> but, Un- you know, answer however you want. I think there still is uh, plenty of uncertainty out there. And talking to strategists um, at the end of the year as to what they expect for the new year, a lot of them said – even more volatility than we saw last year. And of course, at you know, a year ago, that's what they expected for 2015. We didn't really get that volatility until the latter half, until the last five months or so when we had the global market sell-off and then eventually um, the Fed did raise rates. But this question of you know, what pace um, is the Fed going to proceed in raising rates? Is it now going to hold off because of these concerns about right. the economy? Could it even backtrack and, and push rates lower again and reverse the decision that it made in December. There are a lot of unknowns out there about Fed policy. Um, Of course, we know that U.S. policy is diverging from that of other global central banks. And then in addition to that, you know, what is the new normal for the economy, um, for the U.S. and for global growth? And will corporate profits, you know, are they going to actually rebound? And and how is that that going to show up possibly in the stock market? Ken, you know, uh, to Christian's point, how much of this is about Fed policy and, and the dollar and money flows globally? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you sit out there in Asia and basically money is leaving Asia. I mean, it's not a flood and it's not – we've seen worse before. But money is leaving Asia and it's not coming back, right? The more the Fed raises rates, mm-hmm. the more money will go to, to into the U.S. And money is fleeing China partially because of the economy, partially because of the corruption crackdown, 
for all kinds of reasons. And so that is just a, a weakening force. And I think, you know, people are seeing around the world the global economy is weak. The Fed is raising rates. Money leaves all these markets. And, you know, Latin America's hurting. Europe, you're feeling the same thing. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's a, just a global phenomenon. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 take a break. We're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to add Frank Capillary from InstantNet. We're going to talk about the technical damage that's being done right now. Spend lots of time on your device? Then spend some of that time with us. WSJ Podcasts, the sound of success. Now, Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul Vigna, Kristen Scholler, Ken Brown. And we want to bring in now Frank Capillary, who is an executive director at InstaNet, and he is also a market technician, and he's somebody whose notes I, I read every day and, and quote him quite uh, often because I think he's rather prescient on the on these matters. Frank, how are you? Do well, Paul. Thanks a lot for having me today. No, no. Listen, I know you guys are really busy, so I appreciate your taking the time. Uh, why don't you just tell us, you know, let's start as broad as possible. Uh, on Monday, because we're taping this during the day, we don't know where the market's going to end up, right? But on Monday, how much damage has been done to your charts? A lot. <laughs> and I think that's an understatement. You know, but it's interesting. On a day like this, identifying support and resistance isn't the tough part. Um, is having confidence that those levels are going to actually work. And typically when you have a day like this, um, that's, uh, the odds are, are, are relatively low. That's because when the market is down 2% or so, like today, you know, trading is late, so a lot more emotion than usual. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, things just get erratic. And then you know, levels tend to be sacrificed and not respected more often than they may otherwise. So that way, I think it's you know more important to talk about a range of prices rather than pinpointing a single level, because that's usually a losing proposition anyway. So you know right now, I'm looking at the area between and the S&P 500, um, 1993 and 2005, and within that area, there are a number of things um, from a technical perspective that make it significant. And I'll just go through a few of them if that's okay. Yeah, I think that's okay. We have a we have a we have a very sophisticated audience, Frank. They're going to be able to keep up. <laughs> that's great to hear. Um, well, the December lows are right there, both on intraday and closing basis, and that's important because the S and P was able to turn higher pretty aggressively, um, basically two times, and and in, in uh, December back on December fourteenth, which was a Monday. Again, that was a week of the FOMC decision right before it, hmm. um, produced a 3% rally. And then again, on the following Monday, December 21st, which um, S&P was able to then you know, digest a few punches from the FOMC decision and then rally again. And so you know, there are other areas out there as well, but I think what this shows is that the market has been able to, to rally over the, the short term, um, say multiple days at a time since rolling over in November, but hasn't done much more than that. So when you have a situation like this um, come into the picture, it's going to decrease confidence to maybe extend these these rallies, um, again, maybe even more so. Yeah. Hey, hey Frank, was, was there anything on the charts that pointed to this kind of a day to start the year? Well, Can there be anything on the charts? I don't yeah. even know. Well, you, obviously, you never know. Um, but I think you know, obviously got a huge nudge from China today. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I doubt even many traders knew the circuit breakers were just adopted, um, right. given how large the market has gotten there. But, you know, the market had turned lower uh, last week, the last two days of the week. And if you look at things closely, 
We saw terrible openings. We saw very weak attempts uh, to balance intraday, and then you're talking about last week. Yeah, last, yeah, yeah, last two days yeah. of the week. Right. You know, again, we were near, we were near you know, a resistance level, cannot push through. And so, basically, the way the the, the week and year ended, you know, technicals are pretty fragile. They're from another long weekend, and so when that happens, I think any sort of questionable news um, could have created a sizable loss like today. So, I think a lot did have to play in with the technicals in terms of you know realizing that the market's been pretty inept at doing anything with uh, resistance or, or a supply zone over the short over the short term. Frank, I know it may be hard to guess or predict rather how the year is going to play out based on one trading day, but earlier we had um, rattled off a stat that if the Dow closes down today at its current level, it'll be the worst first day um, of trading to start a new year since 1932. And for the S&P and the NASDAQ, um, they're looking at the worst first day of trade to start a new year since 2001. Do you think that this down day is an omen at all for what's to come? Maybe that's a week, two weeks out. I, if you can't speak to, you know, what may what this may um, or may not say about what's in the future for stocks. No, that's a great question, considering that we hear so much about January. Um, so I'll be looking around for some stats as well. And, you know, big down days to start the year that actually don't guarantee even a terrible month. Um, in fact, you usually see some kind of turnaround at some point. Um, I talked to one of my good friends and respected analyst, Ryan Detrick. We have Kimball Charging Solutions put out a number yeah, of Yeah, we know stats. Ryan. Ryan's a friend of, he's a friend of the blog. I've seen him on there many yeah. times. He's a great guy. So he, as you know, he puts out a lot of stats throughout the day, right. especially on days like this. Um, one that I, that popped out to me was that um, when the S&P drops more than 1% on the first day of the year, the rest of the month has a median 5% gain. Hmm. And overall, uh, it's up 77% of the time in the rest of the month. So I think that it just shows we shouldn't maybe take too much from this. But when you combine this type of day with the technicals, you just have to be a little concerned. I mean, I can go into price patterns to maybe talk a little bit more to the risks there. That would be helpful. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we have that much time. Um, okay. You know what I want to ask you about? One of the things I want to ask you about is a lot of people talk about these these FANG stocks, right, which is this small, small sliver of big momentum stocks that were up a lot, that were pushing the market. How much of a concern is it that last year and you know into this year – that you have a small, small group of stocks that are really driving most of the gains in the broader market? Or is it? I think, well, I think one thing it's shown that, again, as an old Wall Street adage, but it's a, it's a market of stocks, not a stock market, right? Mm-hmm. So I would have to believe that not a lot of people just owned those four stocks last year. So right. <laughs> they probably felt the pain. But I think overall the same things are at work now as we saw last year. The major indices, because of the FANG stocks and maybe others that are doing okay, held their own for the most part. They have some res- resiliency when they needed to. And this is despite many areas not participating. Um, you know, transportation average has been underperforming for over a year, muscle 2000 as well. So there's a lot of stocks, you know, within the energy that. sector has been getting killed. Right. Yeah. That and energy, of course. And, and, and we've talked about the high yield areas right. as well. So we have a, many areas which are important parts of the market 
not doing well, yet the major indices have found a way to hang in there. Now, um, you know, they're staying afloat, but I think really for new highs to be part of the conversation for the major indices, we need to see participation broaden out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the concern with the FANG stocks is that they've done so well for so long, if they get hit hard and just come back down to earth, I mean, is, is that capital going to find its way to the previous underperforming areas, or is it just going to be like, well, if they don't work, then nothing's going to work. Right. And we should mention that the, the FANG stocks are, uh, what is this, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, which is now Alphabet, but you can't change the acronym after you've, you've created Even if the company changes its name, you got it. It's still FANG. can't do FANA. That's not catchy. That's right. And not to be confused with an oil stock whose ticker is FANG. Yes, that's right. There I'm sure is. the number one that confuses that. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure not. Uh, Frank, in the next, you know, days, weeks, months, you know, give us the medium-term outlook for the market. What are you looking at? What numbers are you concerned about? Well, for a more intermediate term, I, I tend to, to focus, Paul, as you probably know from reading the piece, just the price patterns, which are more dominant. Now, I won't get too granular, mm-hmm. but you know, the one that seems to be out there right now is just a, a downward sloping a two-month channel. And the S&P is now touching the bottom of that. So the good news from a short-term perspective is that that has enabled the market to bounce um, over the last few months. But without the market being able to take advantage of something like that, it's going to be very difficult to make anything more than a sideways move and change the trend that's been in place now for three months or so. Hmm. All right. Uh, Listen, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Frank, I want to thank you for your time. It's good talking to you, as always. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Kristen. And we'll be back in just a second with some final thoughts. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Traveling on business? Then take us along and stay on track. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, Money Beat. We are back with the Money Beat blog. I want to give you some final thoughts here. And, the, you know, look, the big headline today is really China and the news out of China. So I wanted to ask Ken to just kind of give us the quick two-minute spiel on China in 2016. Sure. So, you know, one of the questions with China is what's what's really happening with the economy? The credibility of the of the economic statistics in the Chinese government are have, have been questioned a lot. Um, and, and if the Chinese economy is growing less quickly than it has been, that hurts the whole world economy. And, you know, the data has, they've been consistently, you know, 6.9, 7% um, economic growth, and, and there's a lot of evidence that that's not happening. Um, the other thing is uh, the volatility that we saw last year in China has delayed a lot of the reform efforts. So going into last year, the Chinese government was all about economic financial reform. And everyone knows, including the Chinese government, knows that they need to do that. They need to fix some of the problems that have been festering in the economy. Once we had this big turmoil with the devaluation and the stock market crash, they've pulled back. And the rhetoric at the beginning of this year is, we're going to be cautious. We want stability. And what what the, the sense in the world is, is they can't do that. They need to make these reforms. They need to you know streamline the economy. They need to open up the financial system more. And so everyone's really worried about where that's going to go. And if things do go off the rails in China, it's the second biggest economy in the world. 
the stock market is closed. It doesn't really affect the rest of the world, but it will definitely hit the hit the global economy. And I think that's the thing that really worries investors and, and, and analysts that are sort of thoughtful about it rather than just doing sort of watching knee-jerk trading. Right. All right. So, look, we'd love to uh, <clears throat> come in here on the first trading day with some happy, optimistic thoughts, but we're just reflecting what the market is telling us is going on. So this is what we have to talk about. Ken Brown, thank you very much. Kristen, thank you very much. Uh, everyone, we'll talk to you later this week. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.